Welcome back to another Mike Blazing episode. In the NFL, we are still, yes, still talking about Dak Prescott and his contract issues. Pat Mahomes just gets it. We still don't know anything about Brady, but we have a juicy storyline that could make for the best Super Bowl ever. In the NBA, the MVP race is heating up, but I'll tell you why it should be a runaway. The Clippers look like the best team in the league. Finally, in the Bruce breakdown, we should commend modern-day gladiators, but we still need to protect them. All that and more. So sit back, relax, and listen up to episode 59 of The Format. Again. How about them Cowboys? <laughs> According to Bleacher Report's Adam Wells, the Cowboys offered Dak Prescott $105 million guaranteed with an average of $33 million a year, uh, I think yesterday. Now, if you're a first-time listener, let me clue you in on my thoughts on Dak Prescott and his demands for a big money contract. He's not that guy! If I was an owner, market or not, I would refuse to make a guy who's proven that he needs everything to be perfect around him to be successful. I just would refuse to pay it. The Dak supporters, and honestly, I have nothing against that guy. It probably seems like I do, but I don't. I could care less. But I just haven't seen anything that makes me believe he's worth the top tier QB money. But as I was saying, the Dak supporters love to point to his 13-3 rookie season. I get it. Yes, that's impressive for a rookie quarterback. But what they don't point to is the fact that he had the league-leading rusher. Ezekiel Elliott led the league in first-down yardage, right? It sure makes it a lot easier as a quarterback when you never have to play from behind the chains so you always have a third-and-short situation to deal with. You have a guy rushing for 1,600 yards so you can just turn around and hand it off to him. Doesn't it make life a lot easier for a young quarterback? Yes, So far in his career, he's always had a top five rusher behind him in Ezekiel Elliott. So what in God's name would make anyone want to pay him as if he's elite? He's not a guy who can take a team and put him on his back and get the win. Oh, you don't believe me? We saw that last year when he couldn't score a touchdown against the Patriots. We saw it again last season when he couldn't get a touchdown on an injury-ravaged Eagle squad in the deciding game for the division title. By the way, who were Carson Wentz's receivers in that game? Anyways, back to the topic at hand. You see what I did there? But seriously, from what has been reported, Dak wants to make more than Russell Wilson. What? What? Is he unaware that Russell Wilson has been to two Super Bowls and already won one? This guy can't be serious. He just can't. Apparently, part of his and his team's argument is that the salary cap will be going up in a couple of years. 
So this deal will be a lot more manageable at that point. Okay. I understand that this is a business. I understand that the game is incredibly physical, although way less so than it used to be, and quarterbacks are more protected from risk than they've ever been before. I understand that any play could be your last, so you have to get your money as quickly as possible. What I don't understand, especially at the quarterback position, is that these guys can negotiate for big money simply because they're next up, even in cases where they sometimes haven't done anything. Carson Wentz got paid. He hasn't even won a playoff game yet. Now, I do think he's clearly better than Dak Prescott. But the point is, they paid him and he hasn't really done anything yet. Jared Goff got paid without winning anything. Although he's another that I think is clearly better than Dak. Now, Dak wants to get paid without winning anything. He also, this is something I thought about a lot. He also has the benefit of being the Dallas Cowboys starting quarterback, which brings a lot of money off the field. We see he already has a bunch of national ad campaigns. Would he be getting all these opportunities if he was the quarterback of, say, the Titans or the Cardinals? No. If the Cowboys give this guy what he wants or anything near it, they will continue with this bad precedent that's been set about paying guys who haven't earned it yet. Dak and his team are going to point to the 4,900-plus passing yards last season and the 30 touchdowns. But what were all those gaudy numbers worth? They didn't even make the playoffs. Don't pay him. Meanwhile, you have Pat Mahomes, a Super Bowl winner, a Super Bowl most valuable player, an NFL most valuable player, a guy who's done it all in his short career, a guy who's proved it. He's getting huge endorsement deals. He's already got deals with Adidas, Oakley, DirecTV, State Farm, Fanatics, Heinz Ketchup, and more, right? Basically, he's cashing in, and I have zero problem with any of it. Why not, Bruce? You seem to have a problem with Dak getting his money. Nope, I got no problem with Dak getting his money. What I do have a problem with is anybody trying to get paid like they're the best when they haven't earned it yet. But here's the kicker. Pat Mahomes understands all the money he's getting off the field. He also seems to understand that there's this thing called a salary cap in pro football. He knows that the Chiefs are going to pay him pretty much whatever he wants and that his deal will shatter previous records and reset the market. We know that. But his agent, Lee Steinberg, made it clear that the goal is to get Pat Mahomes paid while what he deserves while, quote, ensuring that the Chiefs can maintain a good roster. Quarterback greatness is judged by Super Bowls, unquote. I guess Dak hasn't figured that out yet. Quick note, um, still a lot of rumors, but there's nothing really concrete on Tom Brady, right? So the latest rumor, the big one, has the possibility of Jimmy Garoppolo ending up back in New England next season and Brady in San Francisco, right? And that would be an incredible story. With Tom Brady growing up in Northern California and admiring Joe Montana, rooting for the 49ers. 
Imagine Tom Brady finishing his career with the 49ers and maybe getting one more Super Bowl. And imagine this. Tom Brady in San Francisco. Jimmy G back in New England with Belichick, who never wanted to trade him in the first place. And both ending up in next year's Super Bowl. That would probably be the single greatest storyline in NFL history. Then we would finally get to see, was it Brady or was it Belichick? And what better way to find out than on the biggest stage of them all? As of right now, though, the only thing for sure about where Tom Brady is going to be next season is that we don't know anything for sure. But I can tell you, as a journalist, I can't even imagine what a great story it would be and how this story would carry on pretty much through the entire season and through the playoffs, obviously providing both teams made the playoffs, which, you know, is highly likely to have that storyline, Brady in San Francisco, Jimmy G in New England, the way they would have both ended up there and then them having a chance to go through the playoffs and meet each other in the Super Bowl. And then not just Brady versus Jimmy G, Brady versus New England, Brady versus Belichick, Brady playing for his own team, it, it would be absolutely perfect. You couldn't write it any better than that. Quick uh, combine notes. Now that the NFL scouting combine is over, of course, as always, we saw some guys lock up their position with scouts and organizations. Some guys moved up. You know, every year there's surprises, right? For me, I'm pretty interested, like just about everybody else, to see where these quarterbacks go, right? So we know... Basically, from everything that's been reported, from what's coming out of the Cincinnati Bengals organization, Joe Burrow, barring anything truly insane, is going number one to the Bengals, right? But from there is where it gets interesting. Do the Redskins pass up Chase Young and take two attack of Iloa, even though they drafted Dwayne Haskins last year? Who knows? Who's the third QB that's going to get taken? Is it, uh, is it Love out of Utah State? Um, is it, is it, uh, uh, Justin Herbert out of Oregon? Who's the third quarterback that's going to be taken? This is going to be really interesting, not only to see who's the third one taken, but also how badly that team wants him and what type of movements take place up and down in the draft, right? Cause you know, there's always those amazing draft day trades, which catch everybody by surprise. So definitely looking forward to see how that plays out. Right. But as interesting as the quarterbacks are, like they always are. I'm really watching this wide receiver class. Now, this is supposed to be the deepest wide receiver class ever. And in the modern NFL, it's a position of relative need for both teams, the way that everyone is throwing the ball now, right? Now, we knew who the top guys were at the position, right? Jerry Judy uh, from Alabama, C.D. Lamb from Oklahoma, Justin Jefferson from LSU, Henry Ruggs from Alabama, right? We, we know these are pretty much the top guys all fairly elite talents at, at the wide receiver position. But as a Notre Dame fan, I'm not going to lie, um, I was curious to see how their number one receiver from last season, Chase Claypool, was going to perform at the Combine, right? So having watched him, you know, his entire time in Notre Dame, I did not expect him to run as fast as he, as he did. Because when you see him during the game, or you, you know, you see him on film, he runs away from people, but he doesn't look like he's running that fast because his stride is long. He's six foot five, right? So at six five, two hundred thirty eight pounds, he ran a four four two, which for a receiver of that size is the second fastest ever to just Calvin Johnson. 
That's some pretty good company, I think. So at his size, being as large as he is, there was talk coming into the combine about him maybe bulking up and playing tight end in the NFL, which he almost never played at Notre Dame. He was always a, a wide out, right? But, you know, this is some of the things that you were hearing. Maybe he should bulk up, play tight end. But I don't think anyone expected him to run as fast as he did. Um, with that speed, obviously, and depending on what happens at his pro day at Notre Dame, that probably isn't going to be the case going forward. Uh, we know that him being a former basketball star um, up in Canada, I think he averaged like 46 points a game as a senior in high school. Um, I think he's got like a 40-inch vertical. Uh, he can really get up there and high point the ball. And again, at 6'5", you know, big time red zone threat and good size. Also, uh, you know, big threat over the middle. Um, this is a guy who definitely uh, opened some eyes with his combine performance and probably can be more dangerous than people think on the NFL level, provided he gets the proper coaching. So I'm really looking to see uh, what's going to be the case with him going forward. The NBA season is getting down to the wire. And the best teams are making in-game statements against other teams. That's what's supposed to be happening at this time of year. Award races, mainly the MVP and, of course, Rookie of the Year, are getting hot and heavy. I think Rookie of the Year is pretty much sewn up by John Morant. But with the way Zion is playing, there are people who would probably vote for him for Rookie of the Year, especially if he was able to help New Orleans get into the playoffs with this run that he's having. Now, with that said... I'm not going to get too deep into it, but I'm I'm pretty much in the camp of John Morant for Rookie of the Year, basically, because he's played, uh, by the time the year is over, he's probably going to have played about 77 games and Zion about 36. So realistically, it's kind of unfair that John Morant's been putting in work all season long. Zion only, you know, uh, roughly a third of that and would get Rookie of the Year consideration. As great as he's been as a rookie, right? But anyway, I wanted to talk more about the MVP, right? So let's start here. And let's start it with a question. What is the MVP? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know, I know. It's most valuable player. But again, what is the MVP? What does valuable mean? Let's try this. Valuable is defined as having monetary value. Also defined as worth a good price. Also defined as having desirable or esteemed characteristics or qualities, valuable friendships. Is the definition of valuable for this award driven by context? Does anyone even know? Let's, let's think about this. Is the MVP the best player on the best team? A lot of times it is. Is it the best story? Sometimes it is. Is it the player whose team simply cannot function to a high degree without them? Maybe. See the problem here? Okay, in most things, I'm pretty much a black and white kind of guy, right? I like definitions. I like clear illustrations of what things are, what things mean. Clear definitions for me create clarity. They create standards. They create accountability. So again, I ask. What 
is the MVP? What does MVP actually mean? What I'm trying to do here is figure out in the NBA, what is the MVP? It seems like every year the criteria changes to suit whatever the voters feel at that particular moment, which of course is why we get MVPs who probably shouldn't be. But why am I even asking these questions? You know why. Where am I going with this? You know where. This year's MVP race should be a blowout. It should be. It should be close to unanimous. It should be. But like I like to say, should the conditional is the most powerful tense in any language. All right. This should be a blowout in favor of the Greek freak Giannis Antetokounmpo. Right. First, let me say this. If you know me or you've listened to this podcast, you know, I am not a LeBron fan. I'm not a hater. I'm just not a fan. I'm objective. I like to think I provide counterbalance to the warship of LeBron by the fans in the media. But anytime in this modern day and age, you think in a way that's not widely held, you're quote unquote a hater, but that's cool, whatever. Um, so with that, I'll tell you, LeBron James is having a great season. Yes, I said it. There's no question about it. It's one of the best seasons we've ever seen this late in an NBA career. He's averaging 25 points per game, about eight rebounds per game, and almost 11 assists per game. He's going to lead the league in assists, right? Which is apparently the latest in an NBA career that a player has led in any major category. So kudos to him. Good for you, LeBron. But now comes my problem. He's in year 17, which is one of the reasons so many people are touting him for the MVP. We've never seen anything like this in year 17. Okay, let's also keep in mind that his year 17 isn't a normal year 17 because he didn't go to college. All right. So there's that. Then, obviously, during this season, the Laker organization had to deal with the tragic death of Kobe Bryant and eight others in that helicopter crash. We understand that. So the age and the Kobe tragedy, suddenly they get lumped in with why LeBron should be the MVP. Halfway, you ain't got the answers, man. If we notice, it seems like LeBron's cases for greatness always seem to come with some sort of caveat for what happens off the court. No other player has ever gotten that benefit. But anyway, you know, stuff like he opened a school. He's socially conscious. Yeah, all that is great, but it has nothing to do with what happens between the lines. Now let's look at his main competition for the award. Let's look at Giannis. Career highs in points, a hair under 30 points per game. Career highs in rebounds, a hair under 14. Tying his career high in assists, just under six. Leading a team that's on pace for 70 wins. That would only be the third team ever to do that. Playing the least minutes per game since his rookie season while also putting up the best numbers of his career. Think about that. Least number of games since he was a rookie, but putting up the best numbers of his career. Okay? Not to mention, he's going to have the all-time highest PER, player efficiency rating. As in, the highest in NBA history. As in, the single season record for highest PER. All right? I just don't get how this is even a discussion. I just don't get it. But let's try it this way. 
Greek Freak doesn't have the roster LeBron does. He has a solid, well-coached team, but if he doesn't dominate, they can't win. See last game against the Lakers. Middleton disappeared again. I think he was 4 for 17 from the floor in that one. For comparison, Anthony Davis leads the Lakers in 14 regular and advanced statistics. Come on now. Explain to me how a guy can have a teammate lead in 14 statistical categories and that guy is still considered for MVP. That makes no sense. But I guess we got to see how it plays out. Next up. I believe that's me. Nope, it's the Los Angeles Clippers. Now, we knew how good this team could be on paper when it was put together, right? Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Pat Beverly, Lou Williams, the rest of the gang, right? But throughout the season, it's been kind of up and down, right? You have Kawhi's load management, Paul George's lingering injuries all season. You know, we weren't sure how good they would be, even though we thought we knew how good they could be. Now, with the playoffs in sight and Clippers are getting healthy at just the right time, which is, I'm sure, what Doc Rivers was working towards. He's kind of pretty good with the whole resting players and all that and, and you know, having dealt with older players when he had the big three in Boston. So he became sort of an expert on that. But um, we are seeing just how dangerous this team is when everybody is healthy. They're now 10-0 on the season when they have a fully healthy roster, right? And they picked up Reggie Jackson, Marcus Morris, and now Joakim Noah during the season, right? So what I'm saying is they've pretty much covered every base. They've got size to deal with the Lakers. They've got perimeter defenders to deal with all the elite guards and wings in the West. They have scoring on the first and second units. They have championship level experience on the floor and on the bench. They don't appear to have any weakness. This team is dangerous and loaded for bear. They're second in the West right now and primed for their third matchup of the season with the Lakers, right? And this game is going to tell us a lot. I think we all know that the best teams in the West are the Lakers and Clippers, and we fully expect them to play each other in the Western Conference Finals, right? But they got to get there first. That's why you play the games. We saw how good the Clippers can be when they ran through the small ball rockets the other night. They can defend any type of offense, whether it's perimeter-based, now they've got more sides on the interior. They can deal with that. I'm really looking forward to this game today. Especially, I'm looking forward to what LeBron media and fans will say if he loses and doesn't play well for a third time this season to the Clippers. Oh yeah, I already know what it'll be. My bad. He needs more help. I gave you fair warning, beware. Before we get up out of here, you know what time it is. It's time for the Bruce. Deontay Wilder suffered the first loss of his career a couple of weeks ago in the rematch with Tyson Fury. And not only did he get outboxed, which everybody kind of expected would be the case, but for the first time in his career, he actually got beat up. And he got beat to the point that his own corner threw in the towel. And that move cost Mark Breland his job. And that's where I'm going with this. Now, if you know me or if you listen to the pod, you know I've lamented for years 
about an all-time great like Floyd Mayweather Jr.'s lack of warrior spirit. I've talked about it time and time again, and I can't stand it. But there's also a limit, right? Everything in life has limits. And a true fighter and a true warrior who has that thing inside him will be willing to go out on his or her shield, right? But that is what the fighter's corner is there for. The fighter's corner is not just there to train the fighter or to give guidance in between rounds or yell stuff during the fight or give water or rub Vaseline or knead muscles or whatever it may be. Sometimes a fighter's corner is there to save the fighter from themselves. We've seen it before. We saw it after the 14th round in the thrill in Manila between Ali and Frazier. Ali closed the round so viciously in that fight that Joe Frazier's corner would not let him go out for the final round in order to protect him from any further damage. And Joe Frazier was highly upset. He wanted to keep fighting, right? But after what the corner had seen and what Frazier had been through, they said, nah, you're not, you're not going back out there. We're not going to let it happen. And those were two of the greatest fighters ever to put gloves on. This time, it was Deontay Wilder getting badly beaten by Tyson Fury. And we have no doubt that Deontay Wilder would have fought until he couldn't fight anymore. That's not the question. No one doubts his courage. No one doubts his warrior spirit. He spoke to it. And we know that anytime you have a fighter who has got, you know, a, a vicious dynamic weapon like Wilder's right hand always believes they can get back in the fight by landing one blow. But that's not what that was about, right? Mark Breland saved him from himself. Deontay Wilder later told everybody that he had already discussed that kind of situation with his team. He told them that anytime he was in trouble, not just in this fight, but in any fight, if his corner stopped the fight, there would be consequences. Well, Mark Breland found out what those consequences were. But he doesn't have to live with himself knowing that he could have stopped something bad from happening and didn't. So there's that. During a fight in a gladiator sport, sometimes that gladiator has to be saved from himself. This time, that gladiator's name was Deontay Wilder and Mark Breland saved him. Good job, Mark Breland. So that's it for this week's episode of the Format Podcast. Uh, thank you for taking the time to join me. If you're a returning listener, I appreciate all the uh, love and support. Appreciate that. Um, if you're a new listener, thank you so much for taking the time to, to check in and listen to me. Um, hope I gave you some, some interesting things to think about. Uh, hope I entertained you, didn't bore you too much. And uh, definitely hope you'll come back. Um, I, I really appreciate it. Uh, you know, we're working hard to continue to give you uh, my own unique thoughts and, and opinions on things every week and uh, just uh, look at sports a little bit outside the box and a little different outlook on things. As you can tell, I'm not necessarily a conventional thinker on a lot of uh, sports topics. With that said, if you want to get at me, you can definitely reach me on social media. You can catch me on Twitter at Bruce F.A. Hope. That's at Bruce F.A. Hope. You can catch me on Instagram at The Format Podcast. That's at The Format Podcast. Definitely love to hear from listeners. Um, if uh, if you like the show, definitely reach out. Let me know. If you hate the show, let me know that too. If you think I'm the biggest idiot talking sports out here, let me know that. But also let me know why. We could talk about it. We could debate it. Whatever you want to do. I just love the interaction overall. Um, 
Also, uh, if you want to suggest topics that we can discuss, if you have questions, if you maybe want to suggest new segment ideas, I'm, I'm definitely open to all of that. Like I said, I love the interaction and I take it seriously and I take it as, you know, indication that people are listening, people are enjoying it, people are hating it, whatever. But um, definitely give me a shout. Let me know. Um, if you do enjoy the show also, don't keep it to yourself. Um, definitely let other people know about it. Let them know where they can find it. It's anchor.fm forward slash the dash format. Anchor.fm forward slash the dash format. You can also find it on uh, iTunes, uh, Google Podcasts, um, Stitcher, Overcast, and many other podcast applications. So we're out there for you to listen if you're interested, if you want to share it. We're out there for people to listen to it however they get their podcast. Um, all podcasts are written, recorded, and produced by myself, Bruce Hope. And uh, yeah, that's about it. That's what I got. Thanks again for listening. Hope you uh, come back next week. And I'm out. Peace. <laughs>